Well, today marks the first Sunday of Advent for Christians. The season of Advent is this anticipation, this longing, this, this expectation of the arrival, the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, which is why we sing these songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So if any of you follow along in the lectionary, four scripture passages for today, the first Sunday of Advent. And I'm going to look at two of them. The first one, I think it captures the essence of how most Christians and most churches approach the season of Advent. And it's Psalm 80. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, You can go home and, and read it if you'd like. I'm just going to read the refrain. So the whole psalm is, is a, it's a song, and it has a chorus, and it's a beautiful communication, articulation of, of the Israelites' desire for the presence of God to come. And the refrain, the chorus of this song is this, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, may your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. And I think that's a I think that's a a beautiful expression, and I think it's helpful for many Christians during the season of Advent to kind of rediscover or recultivate that longing for the presence of God to break upon us. May your face shine upon us, that we may be liberated, we may be restored, we may be healed, we may be renewed. So that's I think that's a blessing and a gift of our typical approach to the Advent season. For me, sometimes I struggle with the season of Advent because it involves this, what I would call role-playing, right? You, you kind of pretend to go back to the pre-Christmas era, as if Jesus hasn't already come, right? And there, there's tremendous gift and blessing in role-playing and pretending. But sometimes I just feel like I'm being disingenuous, you know, trying to go back and, and identify with the Israelites who, who don't know when the Messiah will come. My reality is a post-Christmas reality. In fact, it's, it's even more intense than that. It's a post-Pentecost reality. So I've, every Christmas, I kind of struggle with how do, I, how do I integrate this season of Advent into my post-Christmas, post-Pentecost reality? And this year, I think I discovered it, at least for this year. It might change next year. Who knows? Life is a journey, and we never know what space we're going to be in. And it came to me from another one of the passages for this Sunday. Like I said, there's four passages This one comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. These are the words of Jesus. And I'm just going to read excerpts from Mark, chapter 13, verse 33 to 37. Jesus says, Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. Keep awake, for you do not know when the Master will arrive in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. Be attentive, or else he may find you asleep when he arrives suddenly. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 
This, to me, is the spirit of Advent for us living in a post-Christmas, post-Pentecost reality. We must live with this anticipation, this excitement, this expectation, this readiness for the Spirit of Christ to break into our ordinary daily lives at any minute, anywhere, anytime. When you're in a business meeting, to have an Advent spirit is to be ready for the Spirit of Christ to break into that moment of your time and to impose the agenda of Christ on your agenda. Or you're at home alone watching TV or on the computer. You need to be ready for the Spirit of Christ to break into that moment in a profound way and reveal Himself to you in a new way. You're hanging out with friends and you're about to share that juicy piece of gossip. You, to be an Advent Christian, to have a spirit of Advent, you need to be ready for the Spirit of Christ to break into that moment with perhaps some good news rather than juicy, gossipy news. That's, that's a great way, I think, to, to integrate this spirit of Advent into our daily lives. Like Jesus says, to stay awake. To be ready, to be attentive, to be aware, to be ready. Spirit of Christ could show up at any minute. Are we ready? Now, I've talked a lot about practicing the presence. And by that, I mean to be fully present in the moment, and that includes being fully present with the divine presence. Basically, that's the Advent spirit. To be fully present, ready, aware, open for the sacred dawn of the Most High to break upon us at any second. This morning, I want to share a story about practicing the presence. Now, I don't like to share a lot of my stories, especially my successful ones. You know, the fine line between sharing and bragging, right? Um, So I usually like to share my failures. I mean, we can usually learn more from them anyways. And this was not, I mean, a a dynamically, explosively success story, so I'm comfortable sharing it. But I've been waiting, when's the right moment to share this story? And and today's the day, because I think think it's helpful when when a pastor talks again and again about something in a theoretical way, sometimes it's, it's good to just break it down. Here's how it, at least how it works for me practicing the presence. And it also ties into the, the, the series that we are talking about and the, and the message theme that we are specifically in right now. Remember last Sunday I talked about the fact that we need to be disciplined. Discipline is basically the ability to do what you know you need to do. And then we talked about Paul saying it's a struggle to do the things we want to do and we are always doing the things we don't want to do. It's a struggle for all of us to be disciplined. In order to live disciplined lives, we need another D word, and that is drive, inner motivation. So this story ties into both Advent and that theme of discipline and drive. Without further ado, I will tell you this story. It was last spring, and I was driving home, and it wasn't one of those warm, sunny, delightful spring days. It was a cold, rainy, miserable spring day. I was driving home from Avon, and as I hit the intersection of Greenwood and McCarthy, 
I was going to turn on the radio. As I reached, I just stopped. I said, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm going to practice the presence. I'm just going to be, as I drive home, I'm just going to be conscious and aware of the presence of God within me and all around me. So I'm driving home, and as I turn left onto McCarthy, I see a man at a bus stop. And, like I said, it's cold, it's, it's rainy. Now, normally, I would have glanced over, saw someone at a bus stop, and kept driving and not thought anything of it, as most of you do. I mean, how many bus stops do we drive past, right? And, okay, there's someone at the bus stop, if we even notice them right? I mean, if I had turned CBC on, I'd probably be like into this, and I wouldn't have even noticed him. But in this moment, I was practicing the presence. I, I noticed this man. Here's a, a common misunderstanding when we start talking about practicing the presence and being mindful and, and intentionally trying to be present with the divine presence. There's this myth, there's this idea that that means we kind of, you know, we, we close our eyes and we... we we cross our legs and, mm, you know, we're just kind of in this inner zone. And there's a time for that. Uh, I certainly need those times. But that's not really what practicing the presence is all about. It's not about kind of shutting the world out so I can just have some kind of feel-good time with, with the inner feelies with the Spirit of God. Practicing the presence actually opens our eyes to God's presence all around us and everything else around us. It awakens me. I, I become attentive to the beauty that surrounds me. You see, when I'm just sort of going through the motions and you know, not really paying attention to the divine presence that is within me and all around me, it is very easy for me to miss out on the beauty that's all around me all the time. When we are, when we are in tune we are practicing the presence, the whole world becomes alive in a different way. The world becomes amazing, almost magical. So when I looked over at this man, I didn't just see, oh, there's someone. I saw a soul. I saw a soul that God loves. I saw a child of God. I saw someone that I was intimately connected with just because we are both alive. The same breath of God that gave me life gave him life. So I looked at him, and then something started to stir in my spirit, and I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, pull over and offer to give this guy a ride. So then my mind went to this place. You know what? I'm going home for lunch. I'm kind of hungry, and you know, i got a bunch of stuff that I need to do after lunch. I don't know if I have time for this. But because I was practicing the presence, I realized, uh, what are those thoughts? Where are those thoughts coming from? So then I did what we should probably always do when we suspect that we might be hearing from God. I, I prayed. Now, let me talk about hearing from God. You know, I often use phrases like that. You know, I heard God speak to me, or I felt the Spirit nudging me. And who knows what you think I mean by that? I want to bring clarity to that. First thing I'll say is I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've never heard this voice, Troy, you must, or high-pitched, I don't know, why, why do we always assume God would be low-pitched, I, I don't know. I've never heard that. Now, I know some people who have, and, and, and I'm open to it, I think that would be fantastic. 
That, that has not been my experience of how God communicates with me. There's many different ways that I, that I sense God communicating to me. Uh, one of the ways is a, a thought will enter my mind that I just recognize, I think that's a divine thought. Or sometimes a Bible passage will come into my mind. Or sometimes just a Bible reference, that's always cool. And then you get to look it up and see. That's a fun one. Sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's a dream, like an actual dream at night. There's many different ways that God impresses or reveals or communicates things of a divine nature upon us. Here's the other thing. We make mistakes. It's called practice for a reason. (laughs) We practice this. But here's the thing. Think of one thing that you're good at. Everybody here, you know, sometimes I hear people say, I'm not good at anything. I don't have time for that kind of nonsense. I don't have time for that victim. Find something you're good at. Okay, let's start with whining or complaining then. Okay, so how did you get good at it? Practice by doing it a lot, right? All of us are good at something. How did you get good at that thing? By doing it again and again and again and again. And it's the same with listening to the Spirit of God. You get better. I know that I'm much better at discerning when the Spirit of God is speaking to me today than I was 10 years ago. In fact, I can look back on certain occasions in my life where I was convinced the Spirit of God was communicating something to me. And then, over time, some things you can only see in hindsight, right? Over time, I realized... Definitely not God. That was definitely not God. Now, some people, I know, I know one person in particular, they had that experience. They, they were convinced God was communicating something very clearly to them. And then in a couple of years, they discovered that was not God. So they jumped to this assumption that God doesn't communicate to us. You know, one time I thought God did, and then it didn't turn out. So God doesn't communicate to us. And to me, that is absolutely bonkers. It's called you are learning, you are making mistakes. It's how we develop in any area of our lives by making mistakes. To me, that comparison would be like this. I'm decent at the guitar. I I play the guitar. I'm not a a pro, but I'm I'm pretty good, if I do say so myself. (laughs) There was a day when I wasn't good at all. In fact, there was a time when I could not play anything on the guitar. And I would try and play a D chord, and it sounded terrible. It would be absolutely nutty for me to experience trying to play a D chord on the guitar, and then thinking back on that, oh, it sounded so terrible, so that means I can't play the guitar today, right? That that makes, there's zero logic, there's zero reason there. To me, that's comparable to saying, oh, there was this time where I thought God was communicating to me, but it turned out God probably wasn't, so God doesn't communicate to us at all. That doesn't make sense. We get better with practice. The promise of Christ is that his disciples, his followers, will know his voice. My people know my voice. And as I continue to do this, I was going to say every day, and that's not true. I don't practice the presence every day. But I practice the presence a lot. And I also get it, you guys pay me to do that. I I get that, and, and I... I'm very honored and grateful for that. Some days I realize what my job is. My primary job is to grow spiritually. That's pretty cool. 
Like, that's pretty awesome. You should be more grateful for your job, Troy. That's amazing. I don't say that to excuse you from practicing the presence, because that's actually your main job, too. <laughs> it's just really unfair that I get paid for it. But you've got to deal with, with that with God. But it's still your primary job. Practicing the presence. And as we do this, day after day, month after month, you get better. You get better. The voice, that still small voice, becomes more familiar. You become better at discerning, okay, no, that's my ego. Or that's my self-righteousness. Yeah, that's what that is. So in this moment, I sense the Spirit of God telling me to go over and offer this guy a ride. As soon as I sense that strongly in my spirit, do a U-turn, pull over, roll down the window. I say, excuse me, you know, it's cold and it's raining. Can I, can I give you a ride? And he looks and he's like, sure. He gets in. We introduce ourselves. For this story, we'll call him Ron. So I ask Ron, where are you going? Where can I take you? He says, well, I'm going to work. And he tells me where work is. And he, like most normal human beings, as soon as you talk about work, he asks me, where do you work? And I say, well, I work at Avon Mennonite Church. He says, oh, I've never heard of that church. Where's that? I said, well, actually, it's um, right there. <laughs> it's right, you know, just about 300 feet behind this, this bus stop, actually. It's in, have you ever heard of Greenwood Court? It's in there. He said, oh, I live, I live in an apartment right around the corner from Greenwood Court. That's weird. Didn't know there was a church there. I say, Ron, you're right. That is kind of weird. And then my inner monologue is like, Houston, we may have a problem. What I've discovered, I've, been, I've paid more attention to how people respond to my response to that question. Where do you work? I meet lots of people in Stratford, and that's usually, that's usually in the top ten questions, right? Where do you work? What do you do? I work at Avon Church. What I've discovered is nine times out of ten, the response is, I've never heard of that church, or, oh, where is that church? So I'm starting to discern we may have a PR issue. Now, I'm not into focusing on problems. I'm into focusing on solutions. And I, I can tell you, we're going to come up with solutions for that in 2018. Now, we have a few other things that are at the top of the priority list of what we're looking for solutions for. But I'm not going to bump it down too far because, you know, I think the solution could be quite simple. Um, but let's, let's put a pin in that one. Let's park that one. And let's get back to the story. But I must say that as I reflected on this story, the fact that there's this, this man who lives 300 feet away from this church and has no idea we exist, that means something. And I'm not sure it's a good thing, what it means. So let's, let's pray about that. Let's come up with a solution together. Ron then says, oh, I go to church. I'm like, where do you go? He says, I go to the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. Off Lorne. Avenue or Lorne, whatever it's called. Is it an avenue? Sure. And I'm like, okay, let's change the subject. And, uh, but then he says one more thing that really kind of stops me in my tracks. He says, yeah, that church saved my life. I'm like, whoa, okay, wait a second. Like, I wonder how many people out there, you know, people are like, where do you go to church? Avamanite Church. That church saved my life. I don't know. Maybe there's lots of people out there that would say, or probably a better way of putting that is, God saved my life through the people and ministry of Avon Mennonite Church. But that's something, isn't it? 
Like, that's a striking statement. When people usually talk about the church, they will talk about, you know, oh, we just have great worship. Oh, our worship team is just something, or, or the teaching's awesome, or, or they, we just have this amazing children's program, or our new facility, whatever. I don't often hear people say, that church saved my life. So to say I was curious would be an understatement. I'm like, tell me more, Ron. And he was more than happy to tell me. He says, eight years ago, I was in a really dark place. Like, really dark. I was suicidal. I had gotten involved in the occult and witchcraft. And I was starting to hear voices. I pick up a lot of hitchhikers. Used to. I don't see a lot of hitchhikers in Stratford. And once in a while, there's that moment where I think, have I made a mistake? (laughs) Did, Did I make a bad decision here? Um, one time, Tammy and I picked up a hitchhiker. It was like 1.30 in the morning. We were out partying, man. That was when we were young. And we were in, a, we were in you know, downtown St. Catharines. And, and I said, do you want to pick him up? And she's like, sure. And uh, as soon as he got close and he got in, I realized this guy's a drug dealer, man. I, for sure he is. And who knows if he's packing heat or what's going on. I said, where do you want to go? And he said, to the hospital. I've just been stabbed. You know, so, so lots of, lots of, but lots of great stories, right? When you live with this fourth dimension. And Tammy and I are still fine. We've never been hurt by any of the hitchhikers we picked up. Because as soon as I have that thought of fear, you know, I'm, here, you know, I'm hearing voices, a part of me is like, I'm nervous now. And then I remember, wait a second. Wait a second, fear's not part of this program. I haven't been given a spirit of fear. I've been given a spirit of power. A spirit of power and a spirit of love. <laughs> I'm filled with the power of God, and I am filled with God's love for this person no matter what they're going through. I'm probably in the safest place I could be. And not only power and love, but a sound mind. See, when we experience fear, you know, the amygdala, that reptile brain gets going, fight or flight. And we actually can't, as soon as that is triggered, we can't think clearly. When you tune into the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, okay, calm down. (laughs) Calm down, and I get a calm mind. I can think rationally, think logically. Anyways, he tells me he was hearing voices and they were, they were out of control. He said, I couldn't even sleep at night. These voices just wouldn't stop. And they were telling me, you know, some pretty evil things and to do some terrible things. And, and finally, I, I took all my occult and witchcraft books and paraphernalia and I took them out and I put them in the dumpster behind our apartment building. He said that night, all night, I just heard this moaning and screaming coming from the dumpster. He said, it really freaked me out. He said, but then, then I got real terrified because the next morning I ran into one of my neighbors, someone who lives in the apartment building, and said, what was up with that weird sound coming from the, the back of the apartment building? And he said, that's when I got really terrified because I, I thought this was in my head and that maybe it was mental illness, but if my neighbor heard this, what's going on? And he said, for the first time in maybe ever, I prayed. I got real scared. So God, I need your help, or either you need to take these voices away, or I'm, I'm going to end it. He said, that week, knock on the door. Jehovah's Witnesses, two men. We're just knocking on people's doors, seeing if there's anything we can pray about for you. He said, I told them everything. Shared the whole story. They prayed for me. 
In fact, they started meeting with me regularly. We, we actually gathered up all the books and the paraphernalia. We burned them. They did a cleansing service in my apartment. The voices were gone. I wasn't depressed anymore. I wasn't suicidal anymore. I mean, it's eight years later. God has set me free. I love those people, and they love me. They still come and pick me up to go to their church service. I was amazed at this story, and by that time, we had arrived at his workplace, and he said, see you later. (laughs) And I blessed him in the name of Jesus. That's something that someone challenged me with a while ago, someone who wasn't even really a Christian. They just said, you're a pastor, and whenever I see you, you never bless me. I'm like, ooh, ouch. (laughs) Because I thought that would be offensive. How can I bless this person in the name of Jesus? They might not be a Christian. And here they were saying, you never bless me. Why don't pastors and priests bless us anymore? So I've just, you know what, take the risk. I just bless people now. If you want to get offended, your option. But I'm going to bless you with, with the best that Christ has to offer your life. So I blessed Ron, and he went on his way, and I continued to think about this. I don't have much more time to get into this, so I want to end with two questions. The first question that, that kind of stayed with me was, okay, God, here was this desperate, suicidal man who was hoping for divine help. And I'm just curious, God, why did you send Jehovah's Witnesses from across town when there was a church like 300 feet away from his apartment? The more I thought about it, I'm like, the answer is really quite obvious and simple. God used the Jehovah's Witnesses because they were available. (laughs) They were the ones knocking on his door. They were the ones out there in the world asking people if they needed prayer. God says, I I use people who are available, Troy. It's just, it's, it's that simple. That's interesting. It reminded me of Jesus in Luke 10 when he says, the harvest is plentiful. You know, sometimes I hear Christians or pastors say, oh, people just aren't interested in God anymore. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> the harvest is still plentiful. That has not changed. It's not a demand issue. It's, it's actually a distribution issue. Jesus says the real problem is, is there's not enough laborers who are willing to go out, out <laughs> into the... We're willing for the harvest to come in here, and, but I don't know how that works, right? It's like a farmer waiting... Okay, come on in. (laughs) Come on in, grapes or wheat or corn, whatever it is. There's a shortage of labor is willing to go out into the fields. These Jehovah's Witnesses were willing to go out. I used them. Okay, all right. That makes sense. I'll pass that on. The second question that came to me is, Where do these Jehovah's Witnesses get the drive and discipline? Have you ever knocked on people's doors and said, I'd like to talk to you about God? Anyone else? Someone raised their hand. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I've done it. I've I've done it in Wingham, Ontario, in Cambridge, Ontario, in Boston, in New York City. I've done it all over the place. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where I've done it. It's really hard and not good for the self-esteem. People think you're crazy, or you're annoying, or you're a virus, or they mock you. That's the typical responses. It's hard. Someone sent me a, a cartoon. A man was wearing a, 
I'd like to talk to you about Jesus t-shirt on the, on the, the bus. The person said, why are you wearing that? Oh, I, I don't like people sitting beside me. I like room. <laughs> oh, man. It's not easy. Where do these people get the drive and discipline to just keep knocking on? You know, 99, 100, 110, 200 rejections. Keep knocking. Now, I'm not proposing that we all have to get out there and knock on doors. I don't think. Is that what? Anyway, I don't know. That's up for us to discern together. My main question is, where do they get the discipline and the drive to do that? Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that is what you're going to reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life, true life, abundant life. So let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary, if we don't give up. Discipline, drive, progress will come. And therefore, as we have opportunity, as we are open to the opportunities God gives us, let us do good to all people. Bring this back to Advent. This is my last sentence. The spirit of Advent is about a bunch of A's. Being aware. Aware of God's presence within me and all around me. Being attentive to what the spirit of God is up to in my own life and around me. And finally being available to join God at work in the world around me.